as we prepare to read our scripture in a moment, I want to just share with you in light of the moment of giving that we just had, a thank you for the incredible generosity that you've shown as a church family this year, not only in giving to our church and our ministries, but we've had lots of opportunities even recently to give to partner ministries and others who have had needs. And you'll remember, hopefully, a few weeks ago, we had Peniel Church standing in front of us, the church that had met in our chapel for some 17 years, and now they have their own facility and they're moving into their new church building, and we took up a love offering for them. This afternoon, Philip White gets to go to their service and present them with a love offering from South Tulsa Baptist Church of almost $10,000. That is a huge blessing to that church. So I just wanted you to be aware of that and just thank you for your generosity. I know they are going to be overjoyed to receive that gift from our church today. Would you stand with me now as Abigail reads our scripture this morning? For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets had said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. The saying is true, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. This is the word of the Lord from Titus 1.10 through 16. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning I want to begin by reading for you this paragraph that I wrote as a description for this series on the book of Titus uh, a few weeks ago. And, and I, I just want to read it to you and then after I read it I'll share with you why I'm beginning the message in this way. Here's what I wrote a few weeks ago. In Titus, Paul writes specifically to men and women, both older and younger, and to many who were slaves about what it means to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. But these days, most people, including the church-going type, are often tired, discouraged, and struggling to find hope. In his letter to Titus, Paul reminds the church that God has poured out his Holy Spirit on us through Christ our Savior. As a result, the Spirit-filled life distinguishes the follower of Jesus from all the darkness and the division around us. So I wrote that a, a few weeks ago in, in, in preparation for this series. I did not know that when we began this series that I would find myself in that place of discouragement. And some of you picked that up last Sunday, and I, I want to thank you for reaching out to me 
because many of you, when I had sort of talked about the fact that it had been a tough week and, and there were just a lot of difficult things that I had been dealing with, you reached out to me uh, and encouraged me, sent me Bible verses, told me you were praying for me, told me you hoped I had a better week. None of you were even fishing for information about what it might have been. So uh, I just appreciate my church family and your genuine, wholehearted encouragement to me this last week. And I'll just tell you that, that what had happened last Sunday was, was right before I fell asleep on Saturday night. So not yesterday, but the week before. Right before I fell asleep and, and was obviously ready to come to church the next morning, I found out that a very dear friend of mine passed away. And uh, last the, the week before, I'd already been tough, just dealing with some situations in, in families and dealing with some sickness in my own extended family. And then right before I fell asleep, I, I found out that my dear friend Ben, uh, who has, has not only been such a wonderful friend, but also for, for me a, a spiritual giant in my life. Uh, someone that I looked to and said that I've never met a, a godly person quite like Ben Chrysostom. And I found out right before I fell asleep that he had passed away. And so, of course, I didn't sleep very well last Saturday before Sunday, and I could not say his name to you last week. I, I could have told you that, but if I had said his name in the message, I wouldn't have been able to finish. It was just right there, that, that emotion, uh, that loss, that grief. And I know many of you can relate to that. And so I, I, I just want you to know that your encouragement uh, was very welcomed, and, and, and I'm very thankful for it. And uh, thankful today that, that I can remember with my brother Ben the hope that Paul talks about here in Titus which was so encouraging to me last week, just to read again and remember the hope that we have is in eternal life. And not even death can take that hope away from us. Amen? So thank you for your encouragement. And I'm thankful to the Lord for speaking to my own heart so personally already through this letter. As we turn to Titus chapter 1 again, we remember hopefully what we learned last week that on the island of Crete there were multiple churches. And Titus was this young minister who Paul had left behind as sort of an interim pastor in charge of all the ministry in this area. And Paul makes very clear in this letter that he left Titus in a place that was a mess. The churches that, that Titus was in charge of were not like I experienced last week. He wasn't getting a lot of encouragement. He wasn't looking around and seeing a lot of health and a lot of effectiveness. But there were countless challenges and problems and clearly, this young minister was having a hard time navigating the way forward with all of the mess that had been left behind. So Paul writes and, and begins this letter, as we began it last week, with introductory words of faith, reminding Titus of the promises that he'd believed in, reminding him that his hope was in eternal life, but also in standing firm on the Word of God, that as Titus too was filled with the Spirit that he would be able to stand firm as he had already done in his life and help his brothers and sisters in Christ in these churches move forward because they believed in the gospel, because they too would be able to stand on God's word. Paul also told Titus, I want you to appoint some new trustworthy leaders in all of these churches who are going to serve alongside you and also who will be there when you're gone. So when you're no longer there, these Cretan Christian leaders, they will take over. You will have invested in them, much as Paul had so strategically 
invested in Titus. And when you leave, things will be better than you found them because they'll be left in capable hands of spirit-filled people who God will use to restore and renew his church on the island of Crete. You might also remember we talked about Titus. Titus was a Gentile believer with a strong spirit who'd been a traveling companion of Paul and Barnabas and also a co-worker with the Apostle Paul in many different places where he had served. There was this, again, this strategic, intentional discipleship that Paul had given to Titus and other young ministers like Timothy. And now everything was handed to Titus and he was the one in charge. I found a couple of great descriptions of Titus from a couple of sources that I want to read. We, we, we sort of put all this together from this letter, but also from the many other places where Titus is mentioned in the New Testament. One scholar said, Titus was a trustworthy, efficient, and valued young co-worker of Paul with a forceful personality. He was resourceful, energetic, tactful, skillful in dealing with difficult situations, and effective in conciliating people. Another said, Titus was an effective troubleshooter in delicate situations who performed well under pressure. And in our verses that we read today, we can see why it was so important that all of these things be true in Titus's life and ministry through the Holy Spirit, because indeed he was dealing with a mess. And Paul goes even further here to describe what was happening because of the false teachers and others who had infiltrated the churches in Crete who were not only teaching false things, but they were living in ways that were unfaithful. And it, and it had contaminated the body of Christ as it existed on the island of Crete. So our verses today, beginning in verse 10, start with the problem, the response, and then what I'll call the stereotype. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Verse 10, Paul gets more specific about the problem. And he says, there in Crete, there are many rebellious people. They don't respect rightful authority, and they are full of meaningless talk. They talk too much, yet they really have nothing of value to say, and much of what they speak is deception. And then specifically, Paul calls out here the circumcision group. It sounds very similar to what we read in the letter to Galatians, that there's this group of people often called the Judaizers who before they had confessed belief in Christ as their Savior, they had grown up in the Jewish religion, the, the, the Judaism system. And so they had believed in the law of Moses. They had practiced the dietary laws. They'd been circumcised, the males, when they were babies. And so they had grown up in this system and now had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, or at least they confessed that they believed that. And they're trying to convince these Gentile believers like Titus that it's not enough to just believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus is Lord and trust him for your salvation. No, if you really want to be pleasing to God, they would say, you have to go back and fulfill all of the laws of Moses too. You need to become a good Jew like us because you Gentiles don't understand. We grew up better than you. We knew more than you did. And so the best way to please God is to walk through our system and then confess your belief in Christ. And just as Paul confronted the Judaizers in Galatia, 
So in his letter, he's confronting the Judaizers in Crete, and he says, no, that is not the message you believed in. That is not the gospel that was proclaimed to you. We did not come to you teaching and preaching salvation through the law or through works or through religion. We came preaching and teaching to you salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And he says to Titus, stand firm in that message that you believed and find you some other trustworthy leaders who will stand firm with you and will communicate that message in the same way. As we go further into this letter, we'll talk more about the island of Crete in the ancient world, the, the churches that were there, what they might have looked like. But for today, I'll just add, there were many Jewish communities on Crete. There's lots of historical record about this, that in these days in the Roman Empire, Christians weren't the only ones who were being persecuted. Religious groups like the Jews were persecuted as well. And so for decades, many of them had already been pushed out of places like Israel, and they'd been dispersed all around the Mediterranean. And we have good record that many of those Jewish communities were on Crete. And so we can imagine that when the gospel came to Crete, some of those who grew up Jewish believed in Christ, but they also kind of fell into this influence of the Judaizers. And I also imagine that Titus, who we learned in Galatians, refused to be circumcised as an adult male, was probably getting constant criticism himself from this group. And he was dealing with these battles personally. So Paul says, here's the problem. But then in verse 11, he says, Titus, here's the solution. They must be silenced. Now, I don't know about you, but it almost sounds like Paul's putting a hit out on the false teachers, doesn't it? Sounds like mafia. They must be silenced. But really, this word, it, it, it's used in other places for, for bridling a horse. It's not that they must be silenced through violence, but the word really carries with it the meaning of silencing someone by correcting them using reason or, or an argument of truth. And so what Paul's saying to Titus is, I want you to silence them, not like cancel culture, right? Not through violence, and not just to prove that you're right. But I want you to silence them, to correct them in such a way that there's a restorative goal to it. To bring them back to a sound place of faith, doctrine, and teaching. Because what's happening here, and the reason they need to be bridled and silenced, is because they're not just corrupting the church meetings, and they're not just corrupting a few individuals, but what these folks are teaching and saying and the ways they're living is it's bringing division into entire households and families. They're teaching things they ought not to teach. And all that they're doing is for the sake of dishonest gain. They're self-centered. They're taking advantage of you for their own gain. And so they must be silenced, bridled, corrected. Because if this continues, it will destroy the work of the churches on the island of Crete. So we have the problem we have the, the response. And remember, as a part of this response, Paul has already told Titus, here are the kind of folks you need to look at and look for to replace these false teachers. You need to find folks who are hospitable, who love what is good, who are self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, who hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught, who can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. That is the response 
which is then followed by the stereotype. And Paul here doesn't quote scripture. He quotes a Greek poet named Epimenides, who lived 600 years before he wrote this. He describes him here as one of Crete's own prophets, and he says, as one of Crete's own prophets has said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Yes, that verse is in the Bible. You realize that people still live on Crete today, right? And they read this, and, and, and it's such a strange verse, because Paul sounds like, I called it the stereotype, he is, is painting a, a broad brush stroke over an entire people group, or multiple people groups, who live on this island, and he doesn't say, so as you've heard, some Cretans, or a few of them, or even many of them, he says Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, and just in case we're tempted to say, well, but Paul was quoting somebody else. He didn't really say this himself. Well, that's why I stepped into the next verse. He says, and this saying is true. I've been thinking back through my 42 years of life. About 30 years of that has been inside a church in one way or another. I can't remember a time where I've ever heard anyone preach on this verse. So if you feel the same way, then today will be your first time uh, as the 830 service was mine as well. What in the world does Paul mean here? It seems so out of place. It seems so similar to what so many in our culture do and what we even do sometimes. We make these broad statements about a group of people or a type of people that we ought to know better, we ought to know in our heart that can't always be true. We too could go ahead and, and do our, our stereotyping, our broad brush, and, and just sort of do a fill in the blank. We could say all people who fill in the blank, who think this way, who vote this way, who are members of this party, who cheered for this football team yesterday, right? We can fill in all these blanks. People who are from this place or look like this or live in this station of life, we too can fall into that same trap and make these broad brush statements and how do we reconcile this with Paul writing under the leadership of the Holy Spirit that which is given to us as the scripture? Now, before I go a little bit further into that, I have to at least share you, this is going to be one of my nerd moments. I have these once in a while. I couldn't help but think of the movie Star Wars when I was preparing and reading this verse. And for some of you, when, when I say Star Wars, it means nothing to you. For those of you under, I don't know, 55, 50, all your heads just looked up when I said Star Wars. And I'm not talking about the Star Wars of today, which there's like 10 million different versions of it. But I'm talking about the one that I watched when I was a kid, the very first episode, now called Episode 4. And this verse reminded me of Ben Obi-Wan Kenobi talking about the spaceport Mos Eisley. You might remember this scene. He said, Mos Eisley, spaceport. You'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. That's how he described it. Almost like Paul described Crete. And yet it's, it's at Mos Eisley where they met Han Solo and Chewbacca. So obviously some good things came from this part of the story. In the same way I would say to you, there's no way Paul could mean that everyone on the island of Crete fits this bill because has he not already told Titus there are some good people around you it's difficult it's a struggle that that some of these others have infiltrated the church they're contaminating folks they're teaching things that are wrong they're causing division even in homes 
but he's already told Titus, get those people out, silence them, but find those trustworthy leaders who fit that other description that we read. They're already there. So, so he can't mean that everybody in Crete is this way, even though he says this saying is true. What I think he means is, Titus, I want you to be on your guard because some of the things you've heard said about the Cretans that have been said for hundreds of years, they're well-founded. Watch your back. There is some danger to be found there. There are many who fit this description that people have been saying as a pejorative about the Cretans for centuries. There are some liars. Some of them are in your churches. There are some easy folks. There are evil folks, some, some lazy gluttons. And so watch your back. Remember that the testimony that you've heard about this place, there's truth in it. So watch your back and be careful. In fact, the, the Greeks had developed a, a verb. The, the verb in their language, kretidzo, comes from the word crete. And it literally meant to be a liar, a cheater, or a pirate. Okay? So a lot of these, these things that had been said were well-founded. And Paul tells Titus to be careful. Another story that this reminded me of from real life was an experience that I had when I went with a mission group several years ago to Honduras. We went to Honduras, and we didn't go to the mainland, but we actually went to the Bay Islands that are just north of the mainland, right in the middle of the Caribbean. Some of you may have been to Roatan before, maybe on a cruise or a vacation. We flew into Roatan, but then we got on boats and we went out to a very remote island called Guanaja, which was a pretty good distance away. And we served with a lot of folks there who had never had any exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we were on the way there in our boats, we passed another island that they called Bonaca. And, and others around it called it Low Key. And I'm going to show you this island. So uh, here on, on Google Earth, okay, I'm going to take us from Tulsa down to this strange little island that they called Low Key. They call this the Little Venice in Honduras because as you can see, there's no green space left on this little island. There are no roads, there are no cars. Uh, everything that you do, you have to get out there by boat and, and there are canals and you have to walk around. And as we went past this island, our missionary who was leading us named Joe, he said, we never go there. We all noticed it because it was just such a strange looking place. He said, we never go there. We call that Honduras' version of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so you just felt as you went past this island, this very ominous feeling. But then I'll always remember what he said next. He said, but we plan to go there. We just haven't yet found the right missionary to start that work. And I see Paul saying the same kind of thing here. Remember, Titus, this is a dangerous place. It is well-founded that, that these kinds of statements have some validity and truth. There are some dangerous, dishonest, and evil folks in the places where you've been called to serve. But, Titus, you're the right person. Like my friend Joe said, we haven't found the right person for low-key. But Paul is saying to Titus, you are the right person. You're the one that God has called. You're the one that the Lord has placed here. And as you continue to stand firm, yes, there's some truth in this statement but as you continue to stand firm you will see that not even the people of crete are a lost cause you're in the place you're supposed to be and god's going to use you to do amazing things
We have many families in our church who have been in places like Low Key, been in places like Crete. They've served in the unreached, the unchurched, and dangerous parts of the world. We have some church families who are in those places even now as we worship this morning. And God has said the same thing to them. It's dangerous. It's lost. It's dark. But you are the right person. This is where I want you to be for this season in your life. And they too are not a hopeless cause because God remembers them. And I love what happens in the next verses. That Paul says to Titus, there is a way forward out of all of this messiness. And the way forward is in God's truth. There are lots of other options out there, obviously. The false teachers were talking about all kinds of things from religion and rules and, and, and paganism and sinful lifestyles. There are other ways that, that we can go, we can walk. We experience the same thing. We always have lots of voices that are clamoring for our attention and people or groups that are clamoring for our affection and telling us our way is the right way. This is the solution. This is what it's going to take to get out of this mess. But I submit to you that this word is not just for Titus and those Christians on the island of Crete some 2,000 years ago, but this is a word for us. There is a way forward, but that way forward out of our own mess is in God's truth. And he says to Titus, so I want you to rebuke them, correct them sharply. Again, how are you going to silence them or bridle them? It's going to be by countering false teaching with truth, with true teaching. And I love the way he says this because there's a restorative goal to it. I don't want you to silence them just to prove that you're right. I don't want you to silence them just to put them in their place and, and, and be done with them. I want you to silence them rebuke them correct them so that then they will be sound in the faith teach them the better way the way forward is in god's truth and hopefully prayerfully they they will then pay no more attention to all these myths whether they're jewish myths or to the merely human commands that they've been trusting in given to them by those who reject the truth instead may they put their faith back in the solid foundation of the gospel in which they believed and that you're proclaiming to them. You know, when I, I think about our own day and time and the many voices that are clamoring for our attention, the many people who are demanding our allegiance, I think about these verses, but also others where Paul addressed this so many times. A couple of examples that, that I, I think speak just so clearly to, to our time and to our hearts as well. Colossians 2.8 See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Because those that will draw you away for Christ, persuade you, convince you with hollow arguments, they will take you captive. And he says the same thing in Galatians, but it's a reminder that they've experienced this before. Galatians 3 9 but but now you, that you know God or rather are known by God how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again the same warning the same word is so applicable to us just as as he said to Titus the only way forward is in truth 
there are lots of myths out there. There's lots of falsehood, misinformation, false teaching. There are many, many people that are demanding your attention, and they are doing so for personal gain and for profits. And make no mistake, those voices out there aren't just outside of the church, but they're inside. They may not be sitting in the pews with us here in South Tulsa. They may not be teaching in our classes. I certainly pray that they're not. But they have your attention because they're on your phones. They're on your TVs. They're, they're, they're in our, all of the channels in which we receive information. They're always coming for us. It is hard to navigate left from right, up from down. It's hard to cut through all the noise and the messiness. But the reminder that Paul gives to Titus is so important for us. The way forward is in God's truth. That's where we build our opinions, our convictions. That's how we invest in our children, our grandchildren, our tribe, those who God has given us authority over. It starts with God's word and the truth of God. And that's the way we make our way forward. And this comes with this way forward in God's truth with a renewing of our minds, to be sure, that helps correct our thinking and, and sharpen our focus on God's truth. But where it starts is not in our minds. Where it starts is in our hearts. And that's the way Paul finishes this section. It's from the heart that speech character and lifestyle flow and and for the believer it's out of the heart that speech character and lifestyle should be christ-like we, we should stand out as spirit-filled people in this world because christ and it has saved us and in him we have been born again we are not the same people that we used to be we're not the same creature that we used to be. We are a new creation. And so what flows out of us from our hearts in Christ is Christ-like speech, character, lifestyle, personal integrity, faithfulness. So that Paul says to the pure, then all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. Think about those influences that that we have in our lives and how how are we supposed to discern or know who can be trusted who represents god even if they claim to who we should believe paul says the same thing here it's you're going to know because if they're pure what flows out of them will be pure and if they're not everything is impure specifically about these false teachers and those who were chasing empty things he says they are filled with toxic stuff that makes them unclean and it dulls their sense of right and wrong their minds and their consciences are corrupted thus everything that comes out of them ultimately is unclean sounds a lot like what jesus said in matthew 15 paul was dealing with the judaizers jesus was dealing with the pharisees the sadducees the chief priests the sanhedrin he was speaking directly to them, his own group challenging him all about the rules and the religion and, and what they said people were supposed to believe. And he uses very similar language to what Paul has just said. Jesus said, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? 
but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. There's it's so similar even today. Folks get so caught up in these minor peripheral things. Just as Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're more worried about somebody washing their hands than you are if their heart is pure and their soul belongs to God. It's not what goes into the body that defiles us spiritually as much as what comes out is a reflection of what's in our hearts. What comes into our minds flows out of our heart. And for the one who is pure, everything is pure but to those who are corrupted and do not believe nothing is pure and he goes on to say about these folks who have contaminated the church though they claim to know god their actions actually deny him my, my wife shared with me a story a couple of weeks ago that i thought fit here very well it came from a uh, uh, from the country of denmark and she shared this story with me because she knows that I love good stories, but she also knows that I love a good art museum. And this happened at the Denmark Museum of Modern Art. Uh, that The museum commissioned an artist named Hans Haining to, to do a, a piece of art that represented the, the economy in Denmark. The way people spent money, the way the government handled their money, all things related to economics. And they gave him $84,000 in cash and they said, we want you to use this $84,000 in cash as a part of your artwork. So here's what Hans Haining returned to the Museum of Modern Art as his, his work of art. And he titled it, Take the Money and Run. <laughs> Don't you love that? Which in, in his own way was a commentary on what he saw as economics and money and spending and work in Denmark. Take the money and run. He promised something he claimed he would produce, but what came back was empty and worthless. And as you can imagine, sent the museum scrambling for answers. Paul says they, they claim, I almost hear him saying they, they claim that they know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, which is a word that's most often used for idols and for false gods the same word they are detestable they're idolatrous they are disobedient they're claiming to speak for god but they are living in rebellion to god they are they are children of this evil age they are not holy and set apart like god has called you to be titus and they are unfit for anything good because they are not honoring god thankfully there is a way forward the way forward in, in God's truth. It is possible for even those like the Cretans that Paul described to, to experience a transformation and to go from being evil and sinful and deceitful to, to having a heart that is pure and out of which flows Christ-like speech and, and attitudes and character and lifestyle. It is possible. But at this moment, Titus is not experiencing that. He's not seeing the fruit of it. And because this, this passage ends in a way that seems not so hopeful, as we move towards our time of invitation, I want to close just by reading 
a scripture that we'll come to later in Titus. So we'll talk about this more in detail here in a few weeks. But it, it, we have to have this in mind, I think, to have the hopeful end to the passage that we just read in, in Titus chapter 1. And I love what Paul says in Titus 3, because he spent all this time, we might think, Cretan bashing, right? And false teacher bashing. But then he says here, oh, but Titus, remember, we used to be the same way. Before Christ saved us, we used to be the same way. We were deceived. We were held captive. We were full of sin and deception as well. At one time, he says, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and in envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Remember what Paul said about the Cretan statement? This is true. I love it. He comes back to it here. This is a trustworthy saying because we used to be like that too. But thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, we've been born again. And that was not the end of our story. So this morning, I'm going to give our invitation to each of you in two parts. The first is for those who would say today, you feel trapped in a life of disobedience enslaved to things that promise you the world but are actually ruining your life i want you to hear this morning that there is hope just as paul described his own hope when the kindness and love of, of god our savior becomes a part of your life he saves you not because of the good things that you've done but because he is merciful because he loves you he saves you through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit who he will pour out on you generously because of Jesus Christ our Savior so that you no longer have to be stuck. You no longer have to feel like you're trapped. But that you can say, I have been saved. I've been justified by his grace. And now I know I am an heir. I have the hope of eternal life because of Jesus Christ. If you feel trapped into, and you have never taken the first step to follow Jesus here in a moment, we're going to give you the opportunity to take that step physically this morning, to step out, to come to Christ, to ask him to save you, and to believe that he will. The second invitation is for those who have experienced that hope that only comes in Jesus Christ. You have been born again, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. But maybe today you would say, I'm, I'm being pulled back into those things that used to enslave me. It might be passions, pleasures, malice, envy, hatred. The invitation for you today is that renewal. To be renewed by the Holy Spirit. To ask Him in Christ's name to wash your heart, your mind, and your body, and to make you clean. And to believe that He can purify you and reset your perspective to a kingdom perspective as an heir who has the true hope of eternal life 
because of Christ and Christ alone.